Welcome to Frank Fire Fridays. This is Father Patrick Bykowskis actually recording this from St. Dominic Priory in St. Louis, Missouri. And it's part three of our interview with Colleen Dully on her experience of the Synod on Synodality in Rome. She is the America Magazine journalist that covers the Vatican. And this is the final part. But actually, when you are listening to this, I will be in Sicilia, Sicily, traveling with my friend Marilee Williams. And I recorded these, of course, all on the same day and have been posting them later. So I hope you enjoy it. I, I, I think that Colleen's got some great insights and, and I've been really happy to, thrilled to have her on Frank Fryer Fridays. I hope she can come back again. This is a prayer that was sent by uh, my able assistant out in Lafayette, Indiana. She doesn't want me to mention her name, so I won't. I've been, it's about thank you. You know, Meister Eckhart, the great Dominican mystic, said, if we can only pray one prayer to God, let it be thank you. And that's focus of this prayer. I've been given much, Lord, through your profound and radiant love and grace, whether in sharing delicious meals with loved ones or basking in the glory of the natural world, all provided by you, I am blessed indeed for all that you've given. And I say with simplicity and sincerity, thank you. Right, right. this listening process we've just done. So right. it's listening sessions focused on kind of the feedback that came out of the Synod meeting in October. There's some people who are disappointed that they thought that there would be action or comments on other issues, um, how the church treats, treats the LGBTQ members of our church, um, married clergy. Um, you, you did speak to, you know, the, I, I think there was a lot of, of energy around what is going to be the role of women, yeah. and I think that's important. What do you say to the people? What might you say to them that were disappointed that there was maybe not more um, um, uh, very, uh, very substantial statements made about some of these kind of hot button issues? Yeah, they're two uh, pretty different discussions, I think. You know, married priests is a discussion that has surfaced before every recent synod. I was talking yeah. to a, a veteran Vatican journalist who uh, has covered synods a lot and um, he was talking about how that, that has always come up and then gone nowhere. Um, I was not surprised to not see it mentioned in the final report. I think a helpful way to understand this is to understand how this report gets made. You know, it was really, I mean, it was kind of frantic at the end of the mm -hmm. synod. They, they, the synod theologians and drafting committee were putting together this document. They did a first draft, and the first draft received 1,000 recommended amendments. Wow. Yeah, so suddenly, I mean, the schedules were changing last minute. I'd be with a certain participant, and they would, you know, be getting dinner with me, and would get an email, and they'd be like, oh, afternoon session tomorrow is canceled because the drafting committee needs more work. Or I'd be hanging out with a drafting committee member who would be like, oh gosh, I have to get back, like, right now. We have so much to do. Mm -hmm. And eventually this, this came together in about, I don't know, 
the 72 hours, uh, and it was read aloud then to the civic participants, uh, and they voted paragraph by paragraph. This is a familiar process in the synod mm -hmm. bishops, um, but because there was this sense of time, my interpretation, though I don't know if this is factual, is you know that they maybe left out some things that were more controversial or that might be more likely to get no votes, um, votes against, I mean, uh, because they wanted to be able to get this thing out, show a sense of unity, and also, you know, let everyone go home in the time that they had planned to go home. Mm -hmm. right? um, I will say on the LGBT issue, this is something that we know was discussed at length in the Senate. This was a huge topic of conversation, and so uh, the fact that it was left out of the final document is, is a little strange. We know that the conversations around it were really, really heated. Um, and yeah, like for example, you know, we don't know a lot about this in the discussions, mm -hmm. they're confidential, right. um, but Father Timothy Radcliffe did confirm this one testimony that I heard about a lot from different city participants. They said it was one of the most like touching moments of the whole meeting, where this young woman got up and talked about her sister, who was bisexual, who went to confession and was denied absolution and died by suicide. Oh no. Yeah. And I have heard from so many people that like you could hear a pin drop in the hall. This was the last testimony of the day after like very long and heated discussions about how to welcome LGBT people. You had, you know, some people standing up and saying, well, this is all an ideology or whatever. You know, other people who were saying, like, no, we, you know, we need to be more welcoming, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but this young woman was very brave and <laughs> said this to all these bishops. And, and Timothy Radcliffe, the Synod spiritual director, said in one of his public speeches, which is why we know about it on record, um, that many people in the room left. He said that he left when he heard this and he said, I hope that this changed us. So I guess what I would say to people who are disappointed that especially the term LGBT did not appear in the final document is like, they talked about it a lot. The fact that it was left out of the document I think is disappointing and I think it's not exactly faithful to the amount of time it was given in the Synod Hall. Um, but yeah, it was discussed and I think that some people at least had their, if not a change of heart, had had maybe for the first time, like the chance to, to hear someone's story and to see like, this is what can happen mm -hmm. when there's this very unwelcoming attitude. Yeah. What do you think people should, I, you know, this is you know, your own prognostication. Sure. Uh, what do you think people should look forward to in the, the, the next uh, synod as they, this is all processed again. And maybe, I don't know if, I can, if it's fair to, to ask you this question, are the things that were discussed, as you say, the LGBTQ appears mm -hmm. to have been discussed a, a great deal. You know, Timothy was here yeah. just a couple oh, weeks yes, ago. Your yes, right, yeah. right. And he came, he was in Chicago for an award from our province and mm -hmm. came down here and went over to Indiana. Yeah. Um, are some of these things that people had hoped for, is it, is it done? There's a, is there no uh, realistic expectation that we might have? 
for some of these issues or are some of these things, is it possible that some of these things can still be discussed yeah. at the next seven? I think they can still be discussed. I mean, it's going to depend what we hear back from the local listening sessions because that will then lead the next round of discussions. I have a feeling that, you know, given what came out of the first round of listening and also what surfaced at the discussions in October at the Vatican, that, you know, these these ideas about welcoming LGBT people, maybe ordaining married men, these are going to continue to surface in that conversation, I think. Um, I mean, I am a little bit like having to look into a crystal ball here, but sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, the big question, I think, is like the practical question, which is what's going to come out of this next assembly? And then what's going to be, you know, taken up by Pope Francis as like things to, to act on? Um, and that feels like a, a big question mark to me, you know? It, I'm not sure what's going to make it into the, the final, final document of that of the 2024 meeting um, and yeah what the Pope ends up doing I don't know yeah it's a big it's a big question mark to me I feel like we just have to wait and see it's also been the case throughout this three-year process that it's been a little unpredictable you know timelines change they add in new rounds of listening we know that the Synod office and the Pope want this to be kind of the beginning of a process, mm -hmm. right? This is They see this whole thing as a first step towards becoming a more synodal church. And so I think what we will see is that we'll continue to see listening sessions, like feedback, and hopefully more of this feedback incorporated into church decisions. Yeah. But I think a big question about the effectiveness of the synod is gonna be, yeah, the, the concrete things that come out of it. Cardinal mm -hmm. Hollerich said as much in one of his talks too. This in Princeton. He says this will be judged by what we achieve, and right now we don't know what that is. Yeah. Would you say to the people listening and others, you know, that they process the the, the, the actions of the synod and what we what we are anticipating or hoping for, is is it is, the people that are are what I guess more more so to the people that are feeling fearful, yeah, um, and and uncertain and uh, maybe a little angry with the Holy Father about mm -hmm. all this. What would you say to them as a result of your own experience and observing this, the people that are, that are attending, the, 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 the synod members? Mm -hmm. um, what would you say about that? I think that I would tell them this was a process that was extremely prayerful, was punctuated throughout by prayer. So there, the conversation method is, um, it begins with praying with the questions on your own, then you come to the table, you say a prayer together, you do a first round of discussions, and then each person can speak for three minutes, but then there's like three or four minutes of just silence, mm -hmm. silent prayer with what you just heard. And there are three rounds of conversation, but there's that pause for silent prayer in between every single round of the conversation. Oh. There was adoration offered to all of the new participants uh, throughout in the evenings. There were masses at the beginning of every section of the discussion. So I think there were three or four, maybe five. Um, yeah, and there were a couple of big prayer services for 
kind of relevant things going on in the world. There was mm-hmm. a prayer for migrants and refugees, and there was a prayer for peace uh, in the Middle East in particular, uh, both of which were, were well attended by Sarah participants. So I just, yeah, I, I want to make clear that prayer was a big thing throughout because I think that that, that kind of backs up what we heard from a lot of Sunni participants about the fact that they really felt that the Holy Spirit was at work in their conversations, mm-hmm. you know? This is not a thing where you come and, like, have out your arguments or even, like, are there to right. push your own opinion or right. whatever, what you want to see in the church. Um, it's very much a process of, like, listening and being transformed by what you're hearing from others. Mm-hmm. You're building on what each other is saying rather than trying to just continue to like fight you know yeah. for, for one thing um yeah, yeah I, I talked to so many people even people who like admitted that they were stubborn going into this process you know mm-hmm. they had what they believed but for the majority of them this was a process that that changed them and I think yeah that's that feels like one of the signs of Ignatius would say consolation right? sure moving moving in a good direction yeah. That's yeah. What I'd say. Great. Uh, I think that all of this, and I, and the, that first question I was that was posed to me by this woman, mm-hmm. I, my response was, I think what the Holy Father is trying to do is to help us to listen to one another. Yeah. And listening has always got to be good. We need to listen to one another. Dang, that's a better summary than I gave. <laughs> well, no, no. Well, Colleen, thank you very much. I, 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 I hope that people have hope. This is, uh, you know, our, our church is, has survived for over 2,000 years through lots of very, very difficult times, far more challenging in some respects than what we're, we're experiencing now. But we've survived because I think we've been open, as, as, you, as you said, to the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have to trust that that's, this Holy Spirit's never going to leave us. We might ignore it, but it'll be there waiting for us. Yeah, yeah. I do feel like, on that note, this will, this is like the best possible thing the church could do to increase its credibility after a disease crisis, yeah. right? Like, much of that was because, you know, decisions were made in like an insular fashion by, like, yeah like bishops and priests in, in small rooms right yeah. and and I think it's only by listening and saying okay like we're taking what all of these very seriously what parents are saying what moms mm-hmm. are saying right like mm-hmm. that's I, that will go really far I think in I hope in in regaining people's trust and making yeah. them feel like they yeah. have an active role to play in this church Great. thanks for having me Thank you, Colleen. God bless you. Have a wonderful new year and a wonderful new year to all of our listeners.